So we can find uh, Daniel chapter 12 in the blue Bible on page 896, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and a half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From that time, sorry, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and that abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Classic Daniel chapter, right? Clear as mud? Yeah? Let's, uh, let's see if we can make some great sense of this extraordinary book that teaches us a lot. Us a lot. Let me pray, and then we'll get uh, stuck straight into this great uh, end to Daniel. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can be together this morning and we pray as our physical self may be cold, our spiritual self may be warmed by your kingdom and its everlasting prevailing power. Amen. Uh, Does anyone have a favourite painting? Or we all uncouth and not, not into art. Uncouth and not into art, yeah. <laughs> Does anyone have a favourite painting? Any fa- yeah? Yes, 
that's really significant, isn't it? Paintings that are done by people that we love and care for, if they're done for us and if they have meaning. I asked Jen what her favourite uh, painting uh, was and I knew she'd go to Van Gogh and just basically anything that he had done. If you don't know who Van Gogh is, he was a famous uh, artist, an impressionist who became famous after he died. He was kind of mocked as an artist as he was alive. And one of the famous... That's ringing a little bit in my ears, just so uh, you know, if you can uh, sort that out. But the, one of his famous paintings that he did uh, was a series of paintings called uh, Sunflower Paintings. And I think it'll come up on the screen there. Have you seen those paintings or one like that? Because it was many, he did many. And the picture of the sunflowers uh, kind of represents, as you look at them, it's kind of, sunflowers are bright and joyful and and he really captures them in their detail, but you see there that not all the sunflowers are in their prime. Some are withering more than others. And while we have this great picture of life and hope and brightness, they quickly die and fade. And throughout all his paintings of the sunflowers, they're amazing to see that they go that way. But to come up with that conclusion, we're kind of guessing because we don't really know in great detail all the meanings behind that artwork because... Uh, I don't think we have clarity on that. But sometimes artwork paints a picture for us that is very clear in its meaning. Yeah, something Emily, uh, my daughter, had been doing uh, for her community project. She uh, did a couple paintings, one of them up on the screen there, uh, and they're in the, in the Teacher Gully Library at the moment, as a community project to raise awareness for auditory processing disorder. Now, it's an impressive painting, um, But what's impressive about it is that it depicts a greater meaning for someone in a kind of artistic, visual way. That what goes on for a person with auditory processing is the information goes in the ears, as represented by those wires, but it gets all jumbled up. And when they all come in at the same time, that you miss the information. Even though it goes in and you hear it clearly, but not clearly. And so art paints a picture that can mean something when it's explained. The visions of Daniel, I think, are like amazing artwork that have meaning. They portray something for us that is hard to kind of grab onto and to hold onto in an extraordinary way and kind of out there kind of way. But we have God's word revealing to us what the meaning behind it is so that we can grab hold of it so that we don't have to guess what the artist was thinking. We understand what the big picture is. And so as we head into the last of these three visions that we've had from uh, Daniel chapter 7 with the great Son of Man coming on the clouds, uh, my favourite of all the visions and and that one where we see Jesus on the throne, we get to this third vision. And this third vision, which kind of encompasses over three chapters, hence the task of trying to do three chapters today, chapters 10, 11 and 12, the picture that is being painted for us is something that we've been seeing over and over again and so now he's kind of trying to finish the book by dropping the microphone and saying, this is what it's about. You see, what it's about, as you see simply on the screen, is that the kingdoms are rising and the kingdoms are falling with God's kingdom prevailing for all eternity. And I want to paint that picture for you today because the reason to paint that picture is because we're supposed to be left with how we live in light of it. 
because God's kingdom hasn't fully prevailed yet, has it? Now, if we remember the situation, and if you're here for the first time today, you haven't been for a while, to get up to speed, Daniel, he's living in a place that is not Israel, that is not Jerusalem. If you remember uh, the situation, is that Daniel was sent to Babylon. And what we see is that the kingdoms have destroyed Israel and sent them to Babylon. And you can see there, represented the king, and that's kind of what it's like. Kingdoms come, another kingdom comes, and they crush all those before them. And this picture representing Daniel's uh, home in Israel, God's people and their place has been crushed, and they're devastated, and they're waiting for hope. And so they're living in a foreign kingdom who have destroyed their own home. And this continues on and on. As we see, as as Psalm 2 uh, reminds us, and as we remembered in uh, uh, the vision of Daniel 7, many kings come. They rise up and they raise their fist to God and they take their stand against God and his chosen one. This is the situation and Daniel's living in this context. And Daniel is hoping now, as three years have passed since some of his God's people have got to go back to Israel, maybe things are better. Three years have passed and he's hoping that he will find out that things are going to turn a corner, but that's not really how it plays out. We're going to see uh, what happens. And what I'm really going to do today, if you've got the outline in front of you, I've actually changed... Uh, changed how I want you to see the bit where it says Daniel, uh, Daniel's vision described and interpreted, the three points have changed. I want to change it to a, po- a main point of chapter 10, a main point about chapter 11, and a main point about chapter 12. And you'll see these main points as they come up on the screen. The first one, the first one being how and when the vision came. So what happens is in verse 1, we find out a little bit about the situation. We read, uh, and it's helpful to have it open in front of you. There'll be some passages I won't have up on the screen. If you've got a Bible in front of you, it'll be helpful. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and it was concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. See, what had happened was Babylon who sent Daniel into Babylon and destroyed Israel. They, they've been defeated. It's happened, and, uh, and three years earlier, we find out Cyrus, the king of Persia, is the one who rules. We actually know this archaeologically wise because in the British Museum, there's some kind of, I think they call it some cylinder or something, which points out to the fact that this um, all happened in 536 BC. And so we actually have um, some external uh, proof of that. But in any case, we see that now another king has risen, Daniel is given the revelation, is things going to be better? And we see uh, Daniel gets this message by a divine messenger and this message, well, it's a spectacular one. The messenger is even overwhelming. The first thing we realise is that Daniel is overwhelmed 
It's a spectacular messenger and an overwhelmed Daniel is, I think, how we see this picture. Have a look at verses 4 to 8. And just what I want you to do is imagine if you're Daniel in the vision, right? And you see this character. Imagine you see this and what you would think. Okay, you ready to imagine it? On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. That is a description of a spectacular, impressive, overwhelming messenger. And Daniel was overwhelmed. He was afraid. Verse 7, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them, they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision and I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. You heard him speaking and then he says, I fell into a deep sleep. My face fell to the ground. He's just completely overwhelmed. Others couldn't even bear it. And Daniel fell face to the ground. And it's not unusual, is it, if we know uh, what happens when people are confronted with God's messengers and the Word of God, how they respond. In Isaiah, when the angels come to him, he says, Woe to me, a man of unclean lips. He's like, I woe means I am so dist- I'm in big trouble. I'm destroyed. I'm, I'm in big trouble. Ezekiel fell face down when he was given the visions. And in Revelation chapter 1, where the picture of the end all comes to place, how does John talk about it? When he sees the vision, he fell down as though he was dead. It's overwhelming when you're confronted with such powerful imagery of the word of God and his messenger. Daniel is afraid. But what we see in chapter 10 is God comes to comfort him. See, how and when the vision came? It came at, at a time when another kingdom is in power and some of Israel have gone home. And will it be better? Well, maybe not. And when the vision comes, Daniel has got no strength left and he's in great uh, fear. But how is he comforted? Well, in chapter 10, uh, we see a, a very uh, clever way of pointing this out by using repetition over and over and over again. And this is important for what we'll see a little bit later on as well. Daniel fell down and he was face down. Imagine, imagine that picture. You, you're confronted with it and you're just face down. I can't bear it anymore. It's like he's got no energy left. It's like me going for you know, a 100-metre sprint. I've got no energy left and I'm puffing. He's done. He's done and dusted. And the angel touches him. And lifts him back up to give him strength in verses 10, 16 and 18. Three times that happens. He's described by, by a one who is greatly loved by God in verses 11 to 19 and 19. And he is told, don't fear because the message you're getting is from God in verses 12 and 19. He's been touched by God's messenger. He's been told, I'm, you're greatly loved. And the message... Is from God. Here is a man without strength, strengthened by God, 
even though he's kind of on the floor, on the canvas, like a boxer who's got no energy left and is about to be out for the count. See, after, after two rounds of encouragement, after being kind of, I've got nothing left, being totally confronted by the power of this vision, he's told that the truth is coming, the book of truth in verse 19 is what you will see. It takes us towards the idea of Revelation chapter 5 where there is a book, a scroll that cannot be opened and can finally be opened. That we'll see a bit later. And what Daniel is being confronted with personally and physically is God is moving all the parts even though it doesn't look like it. And he's wanting Daniel, even though he's on the floor, to seek God. And how does he seek God in his own strength? No, the angel touches him. He's encouraged by hearing God's word. And so three years later, from the vision of Daniel 9, and and the promise of hoping of what would happen after the seventy. Promise of salvation is still hanging and he isn't seeing it at all. What is this vision going to bring? What is the message going to be? As we see how he's come to being in the presence of this vision, we get a very complex vision. The main point of the painting, or the painting being put before us that then we're going to try and understand a little bit. See, chapter 11 and chapter 12, I've got to be honest, feels a little bit like year 12 physics for me. No matter how many lessons I went to, no matter how, many help, how much help I got from the teacher, no matter how much tutoring I got, I still ain't got a clue. I didn't make it through at the end. It was too hard. Physics, I couldn't do. And here, it does feel a little bit like that, I reckon, right? But there's one difference. We can see the big picture and understand its significance. Well, I don't think I fully understand everything yet and I want to spend more and more time wrestling in Daniel and these visions because I think there's so much more to understand. But in summary, the content of chapter 11, the content of this vision, is kind of what I've already alluded to, is that it's all about kingdoms rising and falling and God being in control. You see it there. That's what it's all about. Kingdom after kingdom comes. And in this chapter, we see, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There they are on the screen, as you see, seven kingdoms coming and going, one after the other. And we see that right at the beginning of chapter 11, the Mede-Persian Empire is taken, and then Alexander the Great comes. See, Alexander the Great comes, and we've we've discovered him before, haven't we? And in verse 3, Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has risen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. And we've already talked about in the other visions how it's very clear here, we, we do know that, that's what happened in Alexander the Great. He ruled unparalleled and then when he died really quickly and what happened? His kingdom was broken off to four. And then it gets a bit weird. After you've got the four generals uh, that, that took the kingdom, 
from Alexander after he died, the king of the south will become strong. And the king's daughter is going to marry, make an alliance, we see, um, in verses 6 and following, to the king of the north. Now, who's this? What's going on? Why does this matter? But what we actually, I think we can see, is that the king of the south, one of the generals, Ptolemy, he was the satrap of Egypt. His daughter, Bernice, actually did marry uh, a grandson of the king uh, of the kingdom uh, of the Seleucus. I don't even know how to say it, actually. The Seleucus. See that there? Uh, Seleucus. You can have a crack at saying it whatever way you want and that'll be right. Um, <laughs> who knows? Uh, he married, uh, Bernice married the king of the north. That's actually what happened in history. Now, if that's right, what we're seeing is in these next few verses as we go through, we won't scroll through it just because of detail, is that these kingdoms are fighting against each other, they have an alliance for a while, then they're battling each other, and then the king of the north rises up. It's a crazy time where kingdom after kingdom comes and goes, and Daniel's being told there's still more suffering to take place. And then we move in verse, uh, on into another, another king, Antiochus, which is unhelpful because the king after him is called Antiochus as well. That's annoying. But Antiochus III was the king of the north. And then we've already discovered Antiochus IV previously comes after him. All these kingdoms are being outlined here in Daniel, uh, in Daniel chapter 11. But what does Daniel care about, do you reckon? as this is all outlined, after kingdom after kingdom comes and goes. What do you reckon he cares about? What's going to happen to Israel? What's going to happen to God's people? We're being told all of this, but what's the fate of us? We've gone back home a little bit. Are we okay now? Is this going to be the end? Are we going to be rescued and fine? And then we get verse 32 to 35. That helps us see that with a bit of clarity because that's been addressed. Have a look at verse 32 and 35. We see uh, verse 32. I'll read from 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Verse 33, those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will, they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. See, what is going on here? During the time of the last king, Antiochus IV, more than likely, we see there is, he is just a shocker. And we heard about him in Daniel 7 and in Daniel 8, 9 to 14. And Antiochus Epiphanes, he caused war in, a, uh, in verse 29. He profaned the temple. He ended the sacrifices. We see that in verse 31. The fortress will abolish the daily sacrifices. He was wicked and he attacked God's people. And what did he do that's even worse? Verse 36, he does as he pleases. That's bad enough. But then you get a load of the way it describes him. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God. 
and will say unheard of things against the God of gods. He thinks he's God. The pinnacle of all of these kingdoms is that ultimately one is expressing it so outright, outrageously, blatantly, he's saying, well, I'm God. And so what happens to the people? There will be a time of great distress still for quite a while. But have a look there in verse 32. Is the screen still on? Yep, verse 32. The people who know their God will firmly resist him. These are verses telling to Daniel, this is all happening, but God's people resist. They stand firm. And you know what? This whole horrendous process of evil and wicked kingdoms, it does something good for God's people, amazingly. Verse 35, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end. For it was still to come at the point of time. The end has not come yet. But the horrible time, Daniel, means you can resist. Like you've been doing, God's people who are wise will resist and say single-mindedly towards God. And when they stumble, they can be refined and go, I'm going to come back to God. I'm going to be purified. I'm going to be more and more focused on the holiness of God being made spotless, being more like him until the end comes. So you've got wicked, evil kingdoms and they keep coming and coming and coming, is the picture. And then you've got these words that say, God's people resist. There's more suffering to come. When you stand firm and resist. This is really the story of Daniel, isn't it? Daniel chapter 1, Daniel drew a line in the sand. He is not going to worship any other God. And here we are at the end and this is the message. Single-mindedness, standing firm when the kingdoms think they're God. It's stubbornness or strength. See, what's stubbornness? You do whatever you're going to do, despite what others say. No, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It will be fine. But when stubbornness is bad, is when you get a bad outcome. I don't know if you're a stubborn person, but a story that happened to me a little while ago is um, sometimes I get in my mind that when you're driving a car, even though the petrol light says it's empty, it will be fine. I'll keep going, I'll keep going, it will be fine. I got so stubborn and it will be fine. I drop off the kids and as I'm driving up, I'm going, oh, we're on zero, I should get petrol, no, it'll be fine, I'll get back home. And so I even drop them off and, you know, going up Grove Way and I get to these petrol stations there, right? I could have just turned on in and I get to the top and as I get to the top and I go to put my foot on the accelerator, I'm going, nothing's happening. And I'm like, I'm on the top of Grove Way and I'm not even going to get to the top so I can go down and I'm just trying to get there. I'm getting the lines backing up behind me as the car's going at about 20 at the top of Grove Way, just as cars are hitting 80. And then I finally get there and I'm flying down. I'm going down the hill thinking, what am I going to do when I get to the bottom and I'm not going downhill anymore? <laughs> and I'm, okay, I was so stubborn that, that I thought that I had longer time to get petrol that I was stuck on the side of the road and I had to call out... Um, uh, thank you, Joel, for coming and getting me here. Getting some <laughs> That's not good standing firm and being stubborn right, in a good way. This is strength that despite what others say, you stay strong because there is ultimately a good outcome. 
There is something greater. I love the way David Helm just said very clearly, and I've drawn a lot from this talk, uh, from his book, because it was just so helpful gathering these three chapters. He said, Fidelity to the gospel requires keeping our eyes on the gospel. And so it has a profound implication on how we live. That's, the, that's that single-minded strength that we have. And when we sin and it refines us, it confirms God loves us because he actually loves us despite our sinfulness. And that should motivate us to holiness and to stand firm again. And so we have this extraordinary image, uh, vision taken place and we really haven't given it in many ways its due uh, in detail. But we've got the picture, right? Many kingdoms, stand firm. What does it all mean? Chapter 12, the third point, how the vision concludes. And I think the key is verse 2. Very clearly, verse 2, because something very significant happens. It's probably the clearest moment in the Old Testament that this happens. Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. What's happening? Well, if we just go back to verse 1, we read about the, uh, the, the angel Michael comes. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. The people who are going to be uh, there for all eternity will be delivered. That's where this imagery and where this vision is taking everyone. And so how is it described in verse 2? There will be a literal resurrection. Did you know that? I don't know if you love Jesus or not, or whether you're just wrestling with it and you're thinking, well, what is going on today? It's a crazy passage. But did you know that what the Bible is overwhelmingly clear on? That when you die, there is coming a literal resurrection resurrection and what you might not yeah there's a literal resurrection for those who love jesus but have a look again multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life others to shame and everlasting contempt here in the old testament is a clear picture of a literal resurrection and it's a double resurrection those to life but brothers and sisters those to contempt, everlasting contempt. There are those who uh, are in the book of life that Revelation points out that we see in um, uh, Revelation 21 in which uh, Daniel 12, 1 highlights. But there are those whose book aren't in the book of life and there is a resurrection for them as well and it's not pleasant. So the end of all of these visions is there is a reality that we can't get our heads around exactly, can we, what this literal resurrection is going to be fully like, but it is going to come for every single one of us in this room. And the vision, well, I wish I could spend more time um, giving it justice and uh, thinking about it a lot more, as much as I've thought about it. But it's intentionally confusing. See what happens? Well, let's have a look. We see um, 
Daniel in verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? That continual question, How long, Lord, will this all happen? When will this actually happen? When will all of these kingdoms finally get their comeuppance? When will it all end? When is this resurrection going to take place? And then, have a look at the answer. So clear, crystal clear. The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted, sorry, this is verse 7, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, you ready for the answer? It will be for a time, times and a half a time. Excellent. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken and all these things will be contemplated. Daniel has heard it the way that you have heard it. Verse 8, I heard, but I didn't understand. What's going on? Uh, can you explain that to me again? So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome be of all this? And he went, no, no, Daniel, go on your way. The words are rolled up and sealed now. It's not for you to fully understand it now because you can't fully understand it yet. It's like, man, okay, how do we understand this? How do we do it in a short bit of time? Well, without going into all the details and without the desperation of trying to line everything up, which sometimes people do to their folly in trying to understand the end of chapter 12, what we're seeing here in light of uh, the way that times and time and a half is brought up previously and, um, and the way it's brought up in Revelation 12, there's kind of three options. There's a fixed period of time leading to Jesus, is the time, times and a half, without going into all the maths now, or it's a fixed period of time after Jesus' death and resurrection to when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. But Revelation 12.14, there's another fixed period of time. In Revelation 12.14, we see that the church, God's people, are enduring suffering by Satan. What we encounter when we are dealing with those who hate God, when those persecute Christians... And this period, this fixed period, is between Jesus' death and resurrection to his return. The everlasting um, life, the resurrection of verse 2. How do we figure this all out? Well, what I want to suggest to you, and I, I think is reasonable, while there's many more questions to be asked, is it makes a lot of sense to see it in that last way. Because... Uh, chapter 12, verse 2, I think points us there. We're talking about the everlasting life now. We're talking about the kingdoms in the big picture and we're seeing that there is a time to come that is everlasting. And so the second coming is on view. Especially when we see that there is this reality coming, we realise that all of these kingdoms and their game of thrones ends. Not when one of them wins, but when the king of kings come and doesn't take the throne by military conquest, but by taking his place on the cross. This is when all of this reaches its fulfilment. So I think the big picture of how 
Daniel concludes, how the vision of all these kingdoms concludes, is that Daniel is showing us that all of these kingdoms and their time are fulfilled in the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. We see that, actually, we see this very clearly. Because you know how I mentioned before about how when Daniel was struggling and the angel touched him, when, when Daniel was struggling and uh, he got a word that he is loved, when Daniel was struggling and he heard that uh, not to fear because God has this message for him, when Jesus turns up in Mark's gospel, there are interesting, just, they're just illusions, but I think they, they're, amazingly, uh, they're amazing in how they point us towards this kingdom time has come. See, what happens in Daniel 1 verses 11 to 15? Have a look with it on the screen there. Jesus heard a loud voice come from heaven and what does it say? You are my son whom I love. What happens to Jesus? He goes out into the wilderness and like Daniel who faced these visionary beasts of all the kingdoms, there is Jesus amongst the wilderness, amongst all the wild animals. But who's the ultimate one that he's dealing with? As Daniel is seeing, the bigger battle isn't a particular kingdom, but the, the kingdom of over all the kingdoms and Satan himself, Jesus is there being confronted and tempted by Satan. And who cares for him and attends to him? An angel of the Lord. As Daniel was comforted and cared for by an angel. I think it's just just a really um, uh, helpful illusion to see this is where it all ends. When we've seen in Daniel, when is it going to end? When is the time of times? When is Antiochus ultimately going to be destroyed? When are all the kingdoms that rise their fists towards God going to end? Well, have a look at verse 15 of Mark chapter 1. It becomes very clear. Jesus comes and he says, maybe you know this verse. The time has come. That makes more sense now, doesn't it? When is the time going to come? When is it going to end? And Jesus comes, confronting the kingdoms before he starts his ministry, dealing with Satan, and he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, all of these visions in Daniel to say, you keep going, Daniel. God's kingdom is coming. And we have the extraordinary privilege of living this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus has died and and risen and he promised that life is coming because he's done everything. And he says, so you turn back to me. You want to stand firm and strong? You constantly come back to me. You declare who who I am and what I've done. You trust in me. You believe in me. This is the kingdom that will not be defeated. This is where Daniel takes us. So, what do we do with all of this? Well, I want to go back to where I started and saying how pictures have meaning. What picture do we want to paint with all of this imagery? Well, a few weeks ago when we had the AGM and I kind of talked to us about uh, there's, three, there's three things that we should want for ourselves. That's the picture that we see that the whole of Daniel is pointing us towards. And I want to bring, bring them back up for us. We see them there. 
What do we want for God? What do we want for us? And what do we want for Golden Grove? You see, what we want for God is what kingdom after kingdom after kingdom and after kingdom refuses to do. To accept that he is God and to give him praise, honour and glory. What we want for God is for him to be praised. And in this last vision, we have this great anti-example of Antiochus IV, who makes himself out to be God in verse, chapter 11, verse 36. He magnifies and exalts himself. And what we should want at the end of all this vision is say, no, 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 we want God to be magnified. My heart's desire is, while the world may continue not to do that, I will, with his people, continue to praise and glorify him is that what you want is that the picture in your mind that you think about that is what my heart's desire is is to give god glory praise and honor on your frank that is it can you say amen that is what he wants that is what he deserves Daniel drew the line in chapter 1 and he continually drew that line in the sand and that line was only God will be magnified, only God will be praised, only God will be worshipped. That is where the book of Daniel, that is where these last visions take us. That is why when I finish in a moment, we are going to stand and sing boldly, all creatures of our God and King, praise Him, praise Him, praise him they are not just words that we just let slip by us as we stand up and think about how cold we might be they are words that warm our heart because that is where all of eternity is heading so secondly what do we want for us brothers and sisters to continue to live in an uncompromising way to never Give up on Jesus. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. Daniel kept going. He had so many reasons to give up. Is your heartache, and I don't know what your heartache is right now, is your heartache any justification for throwing it in? That if Daniel was in your scenario, and it may be horrendous, Daniel, you'd say, yeah, okay, fair enough, Daniel, in my case, in my scenario, in my heartache, you should throw it in. Is your life not where you want it to be? And you follow Jesus and you're thinking, well, I'm sick of, I'm sick of coming to church and praising him with other people because what am I getting out of it? Is work just painful for you? Do you feel useful or useless? Do you wish you could work more and you just can't? Do you wish that your work was more satisfying? Do you wish that you could focus better? Or do you just feel lonely? Is your health failing in ways you just despise and are annoyed at God about? Is... And someone has a go at you for loving Jesus, too much for you to bear? 
however the other kingdoms are affecting us as we live this side of Jesus' return. Can you really say it's worth packing it in or just being lukewarm and not really fully committing to Jesus? Can you really say that if we see these visions in all their fullness? What we want for us is to love Jesus, to be more like him, to persevere no matter what we encounter. And so what do we want for Golden Grove? Repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. And that chapter two, chapter 12, verse 2, the reality of a literal resurrection that has a double side to it, highlights the desperation for the people around us that should stir us. The desperation that is at stake is that you will rise, but will you rise with life with Jesus or to contempt? I don't know what you personally think of the whole Israel for loud debacle. Uh, you can have lots of opinions on it. So Christian freedoms being uh, won and lost, and that you know they're big things and to be concerned about. You could be frustrated about the way he's gone about it, which for much of it I am. But if someone asked you about it, what's your first concern? If we truly understood. What is at stake? Would it be to move away from Israel? Or would it be to say, religious freedoms are at stake? Or should it be to say, you know what? No matter how he's gone about it, what I do know is there is a heaven and a hell and without Jesus, I'd be going to hell. That is what is at stake. This is the picture we want to paint. God's name be praised that we, in an uncompromising way, never want to give up on following Jesus. And we want people to love him, to believe in him, to trust in him. It's possible that you may be here today and you've realised, I don't, I haven't turned to Jesus, I haven't, turn to him i haven't trusted in him but i realize that i should although i want to wrestle with it don't just go out today and ignore it talk to someone you know commit your life to jesus you see that is what we've been doing here at grove and what we want to do more and more you know the ambassadors didn't did you know what happened at the ambassadors dinner the other week we talked about it a lot we mentioned it But do you know how significant it was that we want that to happen over and over and over again in many ways? Uh, That dinner, we had six people from different countries interested to come along to get to know us and we were reading stories of people who met Jesus with them. There were two Asian girls who came along and you know what? They had never really heard this story before and after hearing it, they want to hear more. That is what we want to be like. That is what we should care about. That is amazing and we should be praying for people that we all know that are in those situations. We want people to love Jesus. Now, you know that I'm 
going on leave for the whole term that's coming. This is my last Sunday. And there's uncertainty that comes with that, no doubt. The one thing that hasn't been uncertain, though, is your love and care uh, for me and uh, Jen and the kids. That's been overwhelming. But it's reasonable to have a sense of uncertainty, I think. But in these visions and in the book of Daniel, there's no real uncertainty, is there? For you over this next term, you know what's still the same? God is still God. He is still in control. Look at how he's just provided for us. He has, he has us all in his hands. As, as I was thinking about the need, need to have this break and Luke turns up and has worked out great that he can come in and keep us focused on Jesus and how he provides. How he provides. Look at the people around you. He provides you and each other to continue to spur one another on and to build each other up. He has us all in his hands. And so my prayer is twofold. As I'm away, my prayer will be, when I get back, you will all still be here. Praising God and persevering Daniel style. And there will be lots more people for me to get to know because more people are here wanting to praise Jesus. That will be my two prayers while I'm away and they should always be our prayer. Why? Why? Because our God is God. Let me pray and let's stand and praise God together in the song our musos will lead us in. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks. We give you great thanks that you have... You have indeed got the whole world in your hands. You are sovereign over all things. Help us as your people to praise you, to persevere no matter what comes before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.